0: Words that I found comfort in last week confront me today. Naval Ravikant's words. All you should do is what you want to do. But what about when what I want is to break what I have built? What about when I don't know which voice is the true voice? Which voice is the voice that I should heed? Even Naval acknowledges this struggle. The hardest thing is not doing what you want knowing what you want when I was a junior in high school way back in the 1990s I was assigned to read Slaughterhouse 5 by Kurt Vonnegut and I read it I don't know why I read it I rarely read what I was supposed to read. But I read that book. And at that moment, I first began to exist. That's only slightly an exaggeration. Before that book... All of my thoughts were derivative. All of my thoughts depended upon the people around me. They were agreements or responses to the thoughts of others. All my thoughts were footnotes, post-its, xeroxes. But when I read Kurt Vonnegut, something in me was born. My mind was removed from the familiar and flown to some strange, foreign world. Maybe it was Trophamador, the home planet of the plunger shaped extraterrestrials that kidnapped Kurt Vonnegut's protagonist Billy Pilgrim and put him on display in a zoo wherever it was that I was transported was a place where I had no references I had nothing to react to everything was new and unseen and singular Even that book itself, with its sci-fi tropes of plunger-shaped aliens and a character unstuck in time, even the book that looked like a science fiction novel wasn't a science fiction novel. It wasn't even a novel. Not like the novels I'd read in the world that I knew. It stole things like those sci-fi tropes and it used them in ways that they weren't intended to be used. Like as a way to make a joke about shitting in a latrine or to tell the true life story of Vonnegut's own capture by the Germans in World War II, his time as a prisoner of war, and his witnessing of the firebombing of Dresden. Between February 13th and February 15th of 1945, the German town of Dresden was repeatedly firebombed by the Allied forces using conventional weapons. Approximately 2,000 to 3,000 tons of bombs and incendiaries. 25,000 to 35,000 people died there some say the number was more than a hundred thousand and Kurt Vonnegut lived through that he was a prisoner of war three stories under Dresden ground in a meat locker while sixteen hundred acres of city were reduced to nothing but ash and rubble Vonnegut an aspiring writer set to make sense of those events after the war after he returned home to his family he set to make sense of those events by doing what seemed reasonable to him writing about them But as he says in the beginning of Slaughterhouse Five, I would hate to tell you what this lousy little book cost me in money and anxiety and time. When I got home from the Second World War 23 years ago, I thought it would be easy for me to write about the destruction of Dresden since all it would have to do would be to report what I had seen. But it wasn't that easy. Monica would discover over and over that there simply weren't words for it. It wasn't something you could make sense of. The world was changed. Many people read Slaughterhouse-Five as the story of Billy Pilgrim who has become unstuck in time. But there is no Billy Pilgrim in the first chapter of the book, only Vonnegut himself. In chapter one, before we hear the stories of Billy Pilgrim, Vonnegut goes to visit his war buddy, Bernard V. O'Hare, another survivor of Dresden. Vonnegut's decided that he's going to write a book about the war, and he's hoping that talking to O'Hare will fill in his memories. When arrives at O'Hare's house, he meets Mary, O'Hare's wife, and he slowly gets the feeling that she does not like him. I asked O'Hare what I'd said or done to make her act that way. Sorry, right, he said. Don't worry about it. It doesn't have anything to do with you. That was kind of him he was lying it had everything to do with me and later as Vonnegut and Bernard begin to try telling stories of the war Mary finally breaks her silence then she turned to me let me see how angry she was and that the anger was for me She had been talking to herself, so what she said was a fragment of a much larger conversation. You were just babies then, she said. What? I said. You were just babies in the war like the ones upstairs. I nodded that this was true. We had been foolish virgins in the war. Right at the end of childhood. But you're not going to write it like that, are you? This wasn't a question. It was an accusation. I, I don't know, I said. Well, I know, she said. You'll pretend you were men instead of babies, and you'll be played in the movies by Frank Sinatra and John Wayne or some of those other glamorous, war-loving, dirty old men. And war will look just wonderful. So we'll have a lot more of them. And they'll be fought by babies, like the babies upstairs. Mary was right It was foolish the whole idea was foolish and Lonigate realized it right then he couldn't write the book that he imagined would be so easy to write just reporting what he had seen he would later write this There are no characters in this story, and almost no dramatic confrontations because most of the people in it are so sick, and so much the listless playthings of enormous forces. One of the main effects of war, after all, is that people are discouraged from being characters. War is absurd, and Vonnegut realized that you can't write about it reasonably. There is no reasonable writing when talking about the incineration of a city of human beings. As he would say of the book to the publisher... It is so short and jumbled and jangled, Sam, because there is nothing intelligent to say about a massacre. Everybody's supposed to be dead, to never say anything or want anything ever again. Everything is supposed to be very quiet after a massacre. And it always is except for the birds and what do the birds say all there is to say about a massacre things like poo to reading Slaughterhouse 5 was birth for the first time my mind came online it woke up And became its own thing. It embraced the strange forest of the new alien land. And it made a home. A home I live in to this day. My thoughts were suddenly my own. I was a person of my own. And Kurt Vonnegut was the father of that father of my intellect, a parent of my sense of self, the core of my moral fiber. So, junior year of high school, I began to read all of Kurt Vonnegut's books. I read nothing else other than comic books and guitar magazines. First, I stole them from the school library. Then I smuggled them back in so others could discover them. And then I bought them. I read Mother Night and Slapstick. And God bless you, Mr. Rosewater and Breakfast of Champions. I read Dead Eye Dick, Welcome to the Monkey House, Cat's Cradle, Jailbird. And as they were newly published, I read Time Quake, Hocus Pocus snuff Snuffbox and God Bless You Dr. Kevorkian Kurt Vonnegut Jack Kerouac J.D. Salinger Alan Ginsberg and William Burroughs were the only books I owned and then one day I stopped somewhere in 1999 or 2000 I stopped devouring Kurt Vonnegut's books. At that time, Kurt Vonnegut was about 77 years old. And it hit me that he'd probably die soon. And if he did die, as he eventually would in 2007, and if I read all of his books before then, that I would have to live the rest of my life without ever being able to pick up a new Kurt Vonnegut book. I would never again read words of his that I had never read before. So I stopped reading his books. I stopped reading his books so that I could savor them that over time I could lose Kurt Vonnegut and then find my way back to him. Like the prodigal son, I could return over and over to the feet of my father. And for over 20 years, that's what I've done. Every five years or so, I find one of the remaining books and I read it. I return to his words. Books like Juan Peter's FOMA and Grand Falloons, Bluebeard, A Man Without a Country, and his play, Happy Birthday On to June. And over those twenty years, I've even been gifted with a few quality posthumous releases like 2019's Pity the Reader, which I've just picked up this week. The book is really written by Suzanne McConnell, who weaves us through large chunks of Vonnegut's writing, analyzing his style and teasing out his writing advice over the years. On top of being a novelist, Vonnegut taught creative writing at the University of Iowa, at Harvard, and at City College of New York. Suzanne McConnell was lucky enough to have been one of his students. And maybe because of that, this book is better than any posthumous book should be. It has more heart and more connection than any posthumous book should have. I've only read about 20% of it so far. McConnell talks extensively at the start of the book about Vonnegut's trouble writing his trust and experiences, and she meticulously traces pieces of the story that had shown up in fragments of other works he had written prior to Slaughterhouse-Five. He was trying desperately but he couldn't find the voice he couldn't find the path in this section McConnell shares the letter that Kurt Vonnegut wrote to his family after he was freed from captivity from December 22nd 1944 the infamous Battle of the Bulge Until May 29th, 1945, the date of this letter. Kurt Vonnegut's family only knew that he was missing and possibly dead. This letter was written to let them know that he was alive and to briefly let them know exactly what he had lived through. I'd never read this letter before. I never even knew it existed. But when I read it, I wept. I swear to God, I wept like a child. Because I was a child again, weeping at my father's feet. Idea what he had survived, how awful it really was, and why he struggled so much with finding those words. I won't read the whole letter here, it's many, many pages long. I'll just share one paragraph if I can do it without my voice cracking. Supermen marched us without food, water, or sleep to Limburg. A distance of about 60 miles, I think. We were loaded and locked up. 60 men to each small, unventilated, unheated boxcar were no sanitary accommodations the floors were covered with fresh cow dung there wasn't room for all of us to lie down half slept while the other half stood we we spent several days including Christmas on that Lindbergh sighting On Christmas Eve, the Royal Air Force bombed and strafed our unmarked train. They killed about 150 of us. We got a little water on Christmas Day and moved slowly across Germany to a large POW camp in Molberg, south of Berlin. We were released from the boxcars on New Year's Day. The Germans herded us through scalding, delousing showers. Many men died from shock in the showers after ten days of starvation, thirst, and exposure. But I didn't. before he even reached Dresden before he survived as the city was leveled to ash and rubble three stories above his head before 25 to 35,000 or more human beings were leveled to ash and rubble three stories above his head started this thinking that I would tell you about another thing, while only briefly mentioning Kerr Vonnegut. But I was wrong. It seems I wanted to tell you about this. And there is no other word for it than simply This. All you should do is what you want to do. So here's the little secret most people miss about Slaughterhouse-Five. Billy Pilgrim, who becomes unstuck in time. Billy Pilgrim, who is put in a zoo by plunger-shaped aliens. Billy Pilgrim, who was also in Dresden those terrible days and whose experiences as prisoner mirror those of Lonegan himself Billy Pilgrim is not the main character though we follow Billy Pilgrim through chapters 2 through 10 the bulk of the 10 chapter novel Billy Pilgrim is not the main character Of Slaughterhouse 5. In a novel, the main character must change. She, he, or they must start as one person and become another. As Joseph Campbell termed it, they must go through the hero's journey. But Billy Pilgrim does not change. He moves through time willy nilly accepting what is before him passive in every circumstance whether selling cars living through war visiting space or being shot and experiencing the empty void after death Billy goes with the flow he accepts everything as it is he never changes so it goes the key to this book is the first chapter the chapter without Billy Pilgrim the chapter about a writer struggling to get out words struggling to talk about the thing that can't be talked about about the most terrible things that a person can live through Chapters 2 through 10 are Vonnegut telling us what he saw through the absurd story of Billy Pilgrim. And by the end of that story, the writer who could not find the words has written the book that he could not write. Billy Pilgrim is the path. Vonnegut is the one changed Vonnegut is the main character of Slaughterhouse Five now I suppose I could carry on I could pick up the original thread and tell you what I sat down to tell you originally before I started to tell you about Kurt Vonnegut but I'm tired Throat's a little sore. And these are the words that came out. Maybe I'll tell you the other thing another time. Maybe I won't. The hardest thing is not doing what you want, it's knowing what you want. In doing this episode, I reread many paragraphs of Waterhouse Five, and I remember again how Kurt Vonnegut's words make me feel. And I see now that a strain of him runs through everything that I do in ways that I forgot or had never even noticed My sense of humor comes from him. My sense of justice. Whenever I struggle with something, I ask myself, where would Kurt Vonnegut stand on this? Because I always want to be standing with him, never against him. That's my barometer, even for politics. Politics. If I look around and I see that I'm standing with assholes and bullies, that I'm standing on the wrong side. From Vonnegut, I also get my pension for bringing back early lines of writing and repeating them later in the piece, tying my meaning in circles. And here's a funny one. Since introducing the background music into this podcast, I've ended every episode with the words, Be kind. It happened naturally, and I never even thought about it until tonight when writing about Vonnegut. I realized what I was unconsciously pulling from. It's another of his books. God bless you, Mr. Rosewater. The book he wrote just before Slaughterhouse-Five. In it, there's this. Hello, babies. Welcome to Earth. It's hot in the summer and cold in the winter. It's round and wet and crowded. On the outside, babies, you've got about a hundred years here. There's only one rule that I know of, babies God damn it You've got to be kind Thank you, Kurt I would not be here without you Wherever you are Whenever you are And thank you, listeners, for following me down this spontaneous path tonight extra special thanks to the patrons over on Patreon you know if Kurt Vonnegut was alive and had a Patreon I'd be on the highest tier that I could afford (laughs) I'd give him as much as I possibly could he's that important to me so I understand how special what you patrons are doing is I want to say as clearly as possible how much that means You know, 20 years ago I certainly never thought I'd do anything worth supporting So, thank you And if you're listening and you want to become a patron you can go over to patreon.com forward slash chat hall Also, patron or not you can find me on Instagram as Instagram. You can find me on Instagram as the Real chat Hall, where you should feel free to chat with me and tell me what's on your mind. And all my other links are at itmattersbutitdoesn't And uh, until next time, be kind. Be. On the Vonnegut side of things. And uh, I love you, babies. Good to eat.